If you're interested in more normalized this shit content, I encourage you to go to our Patreon at www.patreon.com backslash normalize this shit, where you can sign up for a tier that'll give you exclusive merch, background information, Q&A, things like that. Also, you can go to our Instagram page at normalize this shit podcast. Thanks for listening. Take care. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Normalize This Shit podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Matthew Moffat, and with me today is Kevin Deitch, who is a Warning Coordination Meteorologist for the National Weather Service in St. Louis. The National Weather Service is responsible for the protection of the public life and property of the American people through the issuance of weather forecasts, watches, and warnings. In Kevin's specific role, he acts as a liaison between the National Weather Service and external partners in the St. Louis area. Kevin works hand-in-hand with emergency managers, uh, law enforcement, school officials, and Department of Transportation officials to ensure they have the weather information they need to keep the community safe from hazardous weather. Today, we're talking about dispelling some myths and identifying the perils and risks of your profession. Kevin, how are you today? I am good. Thanks for having me on. This is, this is exciting. I love talking weather, so this will be fun. Yeah, I, I'm I'm glad that you were able to come on, and uh, it, it, I think it's going to be a good thing to share this information with the public and, and listeners. So, I mean, we were talking about this right before we hit record, but can you tell me how you became a meteorologist? Um, you said you wanted to do it from the beginning. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah. So, I mean, I think a lot of us meteorologists are weird in this way, and the fact that we're just kind of born with this innate interest in weather. And I think a lot of people have it, you know, and that's what's nice about my profession is you can walk into a store, you can go get your hair cut, and you can talk weather with whoever it is. Um, and I think that's so cool. Um, but meteorologists, just we have some sort of thing in us that's like, man, like I want to do weather. And I knew ever since I was about seven or eight years old, sitting outside watching storms come in with my dad, we'd make some popcorn. Uh, and watch storms come in and, you know, just having that level of excitement and just awe for, you know, that, that the earth and the atmosphere can produce lightning and hail and tornadoes. It was just fascinating to me. And so I knew ever since I was a little kid, like, man, if I, if I do good in math, if I do good in science, like I could be that guy on TV or I could be that guy putting out the warnings. And here I am. <laughs> you are that guy. And I remember when we, we met right before college this is for our listeners. We were, we were college roommates and yeah. then um, we went to college together. But I remember when you came in to college and you were like, you were kind of very headstrong about meteorology and you were so passionate about it. Like everyone around you could tell this has been something since you were very young. Right. You wanted to do. It's really nice to see because I think I switched three or four fucking times. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So yeah. Well, you didn't tell them we were actually rivals before college. Matt was a really good soccer player, and and we played. We uh, both played soccer coming into college, and so we played. We met on the field first, and uh, he kicked our ass. <laughs> <laughs> and then and then I drank a lot of Mountain Dew and ate a lot. Of pizza. <laughs> and yeah. That's how college works, right? Uh, but no, yeah, I mean, I came into college and, and again, unlike most people, I knew what I wanted. I, I even almost at that point knew I wanted weather service specifically. So not only did I know like the career path, meteorology, 
I knew National Weather Service was where I wanted to go. So it just makes it so much easier to do your homework and to turn in your projects when you know like what the end goal is. And so I was I was very blessed in that way. Can can you tell me a little bit more about that of like how did you know it was National Weather Service versus like anything else? Like what specifically does that do? I know you care a lot about the public and caring about informing the public. I'm guessing that's part of the reason, but I'd like to hear what you have to say about that. Yeah, when I was in high school, I kind of asked around. Um, I shadowed a TV station. Um, my uncle actually worked at the National Weather Service uh, back in Cincinnati, where I'm from. So I had that in to the National Weather Service through him. And so, you know, I kind of got to see the TV side and then I kind of got to see the National Weather Service side. And they're, they're different. You know, National Weather Service is more focused on the science, focused on, you know, a little more of the nerdy stuff, as we say, whereas TV is more, you know, it's more of a public broadcast. It's more of a um, you know, they're trying to make, make sense for folks, um, the communication aspect of it. So, um, after seeing both those sides, I'm like, yeah, weather service is where I want to go. It's public service. It's doing more of this, you know, the stuff I go to college for the science aspect side of, of meteorology. So that's where I went. Well, and I don't, I mean, I don't think many people know, but because I went to college with you and Valparaiso is known for their meteorology program, but it's a very heavy science and math um, course load. Like I remember you taking like just, you know, way beyond calculus, right? Yeah. Yeah. No, we went all the way up to differential equations. So it was like calc one, two, three, and then differential equations. Um, and it's actually so much math that you graduate with a math minor. Um, yeah. And our other roommate was a math major. So we were in a lot of the math, same math classes and always talking crap to each other. So (laughs) (laughs) what what do you, I'm laughing about our roommate now. I'm just thinking of him. Okay. Uh, studying myself. Uh, why? Okay. I know why this topic is important, but I, I'd like you to say, why are you picking this topic today? What do you think is important about it? Spreading uh, accurate information. Yeah. You know, I think, you know, we live in an era where, where there's, you know, a little distrust in some of the, the outlets, whether it's weather news, whatever it is. Um, and weather affects everyone, right? You know, whether you're in Alaska, Arizona, whether you're in Missouri, like I am, there's always some sort of weather that's going to affect your life. Um, and so I think it's just really important for people to know a little bit of background in meteorology, a little bit about, you know, what specific the National Weather Service does to kind of keep people safe. Um, because it really doesn't matter where you're at, weather can affect you. And in, in most areas, weather can kill you, you know, if it's kind of to the extreme. So, um, you know, it's important to kind of know the threats and and what to look for, for, for when that kind of weather is heading your way. In, in the landscape of social media, cause I think you and I started at like Facebook was just coming around. Um, right. and then it was Twitter and YouTube and things like that. That was in college. Right. Yeah. And then you went into the workforce while I went into graduate school. And, and I think what has been your experience with misinformation or how much social media contributes to this? Because I've looked at some of the articles by like scientific American and PR, they talk about how that distrust of information and how social media makes it really difficult for you guys to do your job. It does. Um, you know, one of the biggest things that we struggle with here is, is snowfall, right? You know, everyone wants the, we have what we call social meteorologists. Um, it's just, you know, people sitting at home that that gather this following because they post these random model runs. 
um, that are the scariest ones. Well, we have hundreds of models that we look at. So yeah, there's always going to be that one that's out to launch that shows 30 inches of snow, but it's never the most likely to happen. So um, it's been, it's been difficult. It's tough for our job because as soon as that's out, that cat's out of the bag, it just, it goes viral. I mean, that's just what happens. Um, and so it makes it difficult for us to rein that message back in, um, to say, you know, yes, I can't completely rule that out, but it's not likely. Um, mm-hmm. here's, what, here's what we're, we're forecasting. Um, you know, a real life example of that. So part of my job is I go to the state emergency operations center. So the state of Missouri has an emergency operations center where they bring in state police, department of transportation, basically everyone involved in a, a winter weather response, you know, clearing roadways and, and getting people off roads if they're stranded. Um, and as soon as I walk in the door, they're like, so where's that 30 inches of snow? Like they had seen some of the social media stuff circulating. And so it was like, no, we're not. We've never said that. We're not calling for that. Um, so it's hard to combat that information sometimes if it goes viral. It seems like such a like a catch twenty two, like a rock in a hard place. Of like, you you work so hard um, with your studies, and it's a very. I think what people don't realize is it's a very rigorous kind of. You're spending hours. I mean, I talk to you sometimes, and you're like you're like on the midnight shift. You're going from. <laughs> you know, like 11 to like 6am and you're calculating, you know, numerous models as to help inform the public. And then you have someone that because they want to get clicks and retweets, um, will make the scariest model without doing any factual checking. I I guess, you know, very much like if somebody is posting about mental health, right. Articles of, and and here's what's really scary or here's what's the, the buzzwords click on this. And I'm like, I'm reading that as a clinical psychologist and I'm going, uh, no, that's, that's not what it is. You know, your family does not have bipolar or whatever, you know? Right. Yeah. Right. That'd be tough. Yeah. Yeah. No. And, and I'm glad you brought up like the shift work. So national weather service, we are staff 24, seven, 365, which I think is really neat about our agency, you know, weather doesn't sleep, so we can't really yeah. either. Um, but yeah, you know, um, combating that misinformation and, you know, like you said, it's the, it's the, you want to get the clicks, you want to get the headlines. So you're going to throw out these ridiculous maps, um, to, to get people's attention. And a lot of times it works. And, and I think we, it's become so bad the last couple of years that we almost spend more time combating that information versus pushing our information mm. of what, you know, the most likely thing is to happen. So, um, I think we're finally maybe plateauing a little bit um, that people are starting to realize, you know, once you see those, those things posted so many times, mm-hmm. I think you kind of lose sensitivity. Like, all right, this is just another like ridiculous forecast. It hasn't happened the last six times this guy posted it. So why am I going to believe it this time? <laughs> so I think we're finally hitting that plateau. Uh, you, mean, yeah. you mean to tell me that every Friday night, St. Louis, Missouri gets 30 inches of snow. <laughs> exactly. People eventually learn, right? They eventually figure out, okay, maybe this is some bullshit. This probably isn't going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> Your schedule. Uh, I wanted to ask about that uh, because you you sometimes switch, right? You do rotations of things. Um, what is that like for you? What's your daily schedule look like? Your daily tasks? What are you doing day to day that you can tell us about? Sure. So I've, I've fortunate, I'm actually, I moved out of that role um, when I took this current job. So I'm in, I'm a manager now. Watch out world. Nice. Uh, yeah. <laughs> thank you. Tom. But uh, so the forecasters, you know, and the way kind of up in the weather service, the forecasters, um, they work in our office and in most offices is uh, generally like a seven to three shift, a 3 p.m. to 11 p.m. shift, and then 11 p.m. to 7 a.m. shift. Um, 
and you know you just rotate through that so it's a challenge i mean we we do our rotations about every week so it's not like you're on it for a month and you kind of get used to it you're you're on it for a week and then by the time you get used to it you sit you shift again um, and there are certain reasons that we do it that way but um you know i think it speaks to the dedication that we have to the general public that we're willing to literally sacrifice our bodies sacrifice our sleep uh, you know, in times in active weather, we bring in people on overtime. So we're sacrificing our time with our families too, uh, to keep the people safe. And that just speaks to meteorologists in general. You know, the broadcast TV meteorologists do the same thing. Um, you know, we're here for you all. And, and um, you know, weather excites us anyway. So whether I'm at home or at work, I'm probably looking at the weather anyway. So might as well come into work and work. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm glad that you, that you said that. I think, I think, the public and and even you know we we joked in college right of like of like when you think of what a meteorologist is is either like Al Roker right when you see Al Roker right. Right? That, right. that's your first person that you think of when or at least that's the first person I think of when you think meteorologist um, but you don't see how detailed and numerous either in broadcasting or you know in NWS how how numerous and how many hats you have to wear uh, constantly it seems like you're the last time I saw you, we were talking and you were saying, I mean, you're constantly working. I mean, you're co- yeah. especially during winter time. Yeah. Um, Cause I think St. Louis, right. has ice and, and snow and stuff like that. But you know, Arizona is like, <laughs> man, we got a dust storm coming, right? Like that's right. What, yeah. But I mean, in the winter time, I, you, you work like crazy. Yeah. And it's, you know, so the forecaster side, they, their shifts are kind of crazy. So, you know, to make a forecast, the first thing you do when you walk in is you look at observations, you look at what's going on now, you know, the current state of the atmosphere, you look at satellite data, you look at radar, you look at what the temperature and dew point and winds are at all these different sites that we have. And then from there, you know, all right, so you know what's going on now. Well, then, I mean, obviously our main job is to project that into the future. So, the way we do that is we kind of look at what's going on now and then we have all this model output. Um, luckily we don't have to like do that manually. Um, back in the day, we actually had to do a lot more calculations, but luckily you know, a lot of that's computerized now. Um, but we have hundreds of models to look at. And so we have to quickly sift through all that information, figure out what model is best depicting what's going on now, what has the best kind of handle on things and then from there, kind of pick our favorites of how it's going to project out into the future based on, um, you know, what model tends to do the best in certain in certain patterns based on our forecaster experience. Like I've seen this pattern before. This is what usually mm-hmm. happens. Um, so there's a lot of different moving parts. Um, but then I think the most important part is once we get that forecast, are we communicating it correctly? So we can have the best forecast in the world, but if it's not getting out to folks or if they don't understand it, it's worthless, right? So, um, so that's a big piece of my job. I work with our external partners to make sure that they're understanding our forecast, that they're understanding our message, um, because we're nerdy meteorologists, right? We can we can talk over people. I can talk about vorticity and cape and shear and all these words you probably never even heard of, and that yeah. goes right over people's heads. But so it's our job to make sure that people are understanding what the forecast is. Yeah, I think of that Michael Scott thing where explain to me like I'm five. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's yeah, exactly like- what we have to do. Yeah. And especially to the general public, you know, um, you know, they, you know, that we, we have folks from all over different socioeconomic, socioeconomic backgrounds. Um, so we really have to have a pretty low level for the general public to understand. Now our partners are a little more savvy, a little more weather savvy, especially because they're looking at it all the time. So we can be a little more detailed with them. 
Um, but yeah, it's something that we really are, especially the last few years, really focus on in the weather service is how are we messaging things and how are we kind of nuancing that message to the situation at hand? Okay. I got a lot of questions with that. Okay. So sure. you can do all these models. Okay. Um, predictability. Do you go a week out? Do you go a day out? And then who, who decides, like, is it like a team of you getting together and picking the models that, okay, we think in, in the next, especially if it's in an emergency, I'm thinking in my head, an emergency, like how quickly you have to pick the right models as a team and then send it over to broadcasters. Like, how does that, how does that process work? Yeah. So we kind of, we kind of have two areas that, that of the house essentially. So we have like near term, very fast threats. So like, that's your, that's your tornado. That's your really strong thunderstorm. That's your dust storm. Like we have to warn people immediately about those. Um, so in those situations, yeah, we have a team of forecasters that are looking at radar data uh, or maybe some near term model data to kind of decide, all right, this is going to be a big deal. We need to get the alert out now. Um, and so the ways we get that out are through, if anyone's ever heard of NOAA weather radio, it's a little bit of an outdated thing, um, but it still works really, really well. Um, you know, you get those on your cell phones now. So any tornado warning that we issue, everyone gets an alert on their cell phones and then everyone has weather apps too, that, that will probably alert them as well. Um, but that's a team of meteorologists at the office here kind of deciding, all right, we need to put out a tornado warning on the storm starting to spin up. Um, then we actually physically draw a polygon, you know, in our software and that alerts everyone immediately. It goes to the broadcast meteorologist. It hits weather radio. It hits everyone's cell phone within seconds. Okay. Yeah. So, and then the longer term forecasting, you know, more like a winter storm where we're talking, you know, you got a couple of days to prepare. Um, that will still be a team. So everything we do is, you know, there's more than one forecaster looking at everything. There's at least two forecasters that are making the decisions. Um, so you kind of come together as a team and say, you know, I've seen this pattern before. You know, especially some of our more experienced forecasters who have been here 20, 30 years, they've seen winter storms like this. They've seen dust storms like this. Um, like, yeah, this this looks exactly like the one we had back in 2012 or whenever it might have been. Um, and so they have that kind of background to really be confident in what they're putting out. Very cool. Thanks for explaining that. Yeah, <laughs> it's a process. It's yeah. a process. But uh, and, you know, as everyone knows, we're not we're not always correct. Um, you know, we put out tornado warnings that don't always verify. Um, but you know, we, we try to err on the side of caution. So if we think there's a tornado, uh, you know, potential even, um, we want to let people know that and make sure they're in shelter. So we like to err a little bit on the side of caution versus not putting out a warning and something happening and people not knowing about it. So, well, I think that's, you know, that goes back to why we're bringing this up is, you know, a lot of people joke about, you know, meteorology accuracy and, um, it becomes like a, you know, I know that you got that a lot, right? In uh, st college, I'm sure you get it a lot now. Like you were given the example, where's that 30 inches of snow? Um, <laughs> yeah. But I think people forget that really you guys are, every kind of thing you're putting out is is for protection. So if you're predicting something, you're, you're preparing for something, you'd rather be more cautious than say, hey, look, it's, you know, not likely. Right. Because the one time it is does happen that it's not likely that's even a worse reaction than having exactly. people go, Oh, where's that 30 inches of snow type thing. Right. 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 Yeah. So, you know, we, one instance of where we, we, you know, we didn't forecast well was back in 2016 here in the St. Louis area. We had an ice storm. Um, it wasn't a lot of ice, but as we all know for ice, it only takes mm -hmm. a real small amount. 
Um, so it glazed everything over just enough. We didn't really forecast it well. It was just a little bit of freezing drizzle is what we call it. Just real, it's, it's liquid precipitation, but then it hits the ground, which is below freezing. So it freezes on contact. Um, and that caused there was accidents everywhere. Every interstate in town was closed. There was actually students that stayed overnight at their schools because they oh, couldn't get them home. Yeah. Um, all because of a bad forecast. So, um, you know, it goes to show that, yeah, literally the first thing when I meet people, oh, you're a meteorologist, must be nice to get paid, you know, whether you're right or wrong. It's almost always the first uh, sure, yeah. comment I get. But, you know, and I, it's fine. I, I understand that and I get that. But, you know, at the same time, I really do think we save lives. And, you know, that event in 2016, when we didn't say anything, when the forecast was bad, there wasn't any pretreatment on the roads. You know, they didn't have any mm-hmm. salt trucks out because we didn't tell them it was coming. So it goes to show that if we're not here doing our jobs, then there's no preparation in the community because they don't know it's coming. So it, it, I'm glad that you're doing this. I'm glad that you're like, I mean, I have a history with you, but you know, <laughs> cause I know how, I, mean, I know how dedicated you are and I know how uh, intelligent you are. And it's nice knowing that you are a part of that process. I think people, you know, it's one thing if people are making jokes, if they say it and they, they know it's a joke and then they go, you know, Hey, thank you for your service. Right. 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 Really though. Thank you for your service versus like, Hey, they kind of get all defensive about they're kind of upset. You're getting paid. And you know know what I mean? Like, it's like a weird dynamic where it's like, well, they're not just forecasting for your little County there. You know what I mean? Like they're forecast. If you're, forecasting for an entire city. Like I think of Tucson, Tucson's very spread out. So it's like you're going, it takes 45 minutes to get from one end to the other. Um, And if you're forecasting in Tucson, it's like, if you're saying that the city is going to get, you know, heavy rain because we get monsoons here. Yeah. Sometimes I don't get rain or I do get rain, but another place doesn't get rain. But does that make some, but does that make you guys wrong? No, that makes you guys right. Exactly. You know what I mean? No, I'm glad you brought that up. I think, I think people get, you know, we live in a selfish society, right? People are, if it doesn't happen to me, it doesn't happen at all. Um, and you're right. I mean, our, so our office, we forecast for 46 counties in Eastern Illinois and West in uh, Eastern Missouri and Western Illinois. So yeah, I mean, we could have, a hell of a snowstorm up in, in Northeast Missouri and central Missouri and not have really much at all in the St. Louis area, you know, maybe just sh- the storm shifted by 10 miles. So St. Louis stayed all rain and you know, the snow was off just 10 miles West of town. Um, but then everyone's like, Oh, they're horrible. They don't know what they're talking about. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. We, we missed by 10 miles, which when you're forecasting, you know, seven days out in advance, it's not bad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So yeah, it's a matter of perspective. And, um, you know, some people, like I said, if it, if it doesn't happen right at their house, it didn't happen at all. So mm-hmm. it, it's predicting a day ahead is difficult. Predicting a seven day forecast. <laughs> I, I mean, if you try to predict anything, or I, I think in my right. profession, if I'm trying to predict somebody's risk of like suicide or something, it's a very delicate and rigorous process. And right. you, you err on the side of caution. I mean, you know, and I just, I, I think that being able to predict if you're getting any accuracy whatsoever, you're doing, you're doing a good job in informing the public. Um, right. I mean, you think of any profession, like, you know, I'm into stocks a lot. So yeah, like, yeah, yeah. A week from now, what's the stock market going to look like? I don't know. Like, I can give you general trends. It hasn't been good lately. Yeah, it hasn't so been maybe, good. I, maybe I cried this morning. <laughs> yeah, same. So, so maybe down, but uh, but you know, to actually confidently be able to project that, 
it's not it's not easy to do and I, I, there really aren't many professions where you can go a week out and have really any reliable mm-hmm. you know guessing or educated guess um but you know our our science is so advanced now that we actually can give you a pretty good idea of at least seven days out like yeah it's going to be rainy or yeah it's going to be warm that's and, what i was going to ask you i was going to ask because what you've seen in the technology advancing how accurate are your models and like what's changed in that? Like, what do you see has been different that in layman's terms, right? That you can kind of yeah. dumb down for me and sure. the listeners. Yeah. So when I got, got in the, the, the business about 11 years ago, um, I would say we could reliably predict weather four to five days out. Um, and we only had at that time, maybe 15 or so models that we can, we used and, and kind of leaned on now, like I had mentioned already, we have, we have, well over a hundred, probably approaching about 200 models. Um, so, and not only that, those models are what we call higher resolution. So, um, you know, the, the, the detail that we can get out of them, you know, they can show us if it's going to be individual storms or a line of storms. And that can really tell us a lot about what kind of hazards. So the fact that, you know, and, and a lot of this is just computer technology, it can crunch a lot more data, a lot more quickly. And so we can get higher resolution things. Um, we can actually see the environment in 3d now, um, which is incredible to me too. Uh, you know, so every, everything used to be in 2d, but now we can actually see the depth of things and kind of the vertical profile of things. Um, so all of those have just relayed to, uh, you know, we just have more confidence, you know, if we have 15 models and five are showing one thing and, you know, a few of the other ones are showing something else. It's a little more challenging, but if we have a hundred models and 90 of them are showing the same thing and only mm-hmm. 20 are out to lunch. You know, that's, we have a lot more confidence because those 90 are showing the same thing. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, yeah. And another thing that we've kind of gone towards more, you know, in the forecasting realm is probabilistic information. Um, so before it used to be like, you're getting a tornado, you're in the, you're in the warning, go to your shelter. Well, now we're moving towards, and hopefully in the next few years, this will actually be out. But we can actually give you the percentage chance of being hit by a tornado Whoa. and how that's changing over time. Um, that's that's kind of in the works right now. Um, we're already doing that with winter. So like I can tell you the percent, what's the percent chance you're going to get two inches of snow, percent chance you're going to get four inches of snow. Um, so we're going more to this kind of probability messaging versus like it's 100% going to happen because we're, we're, we're not that good, right? You know, weather is always going to be an inexact science. Mm-hmm. Um, so this probabilistic messaging, I think, is a exciting new step forward um, that people can assess their risk. You know, what at what risk are you going to, you know, wait for that tornado to go, you know, you're going to 60% are you going to go to your basement 80%. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think we'll be able to give people more information on their actual risk level. Well, I'm glad you brought that up because that idea of listening to information and at what point would it cause them to react in a positive way to the information. I know this was something that you and I talked about prior to coming on about in national, you know, like national disaster events or like, around around the country people not responding to information and warnings and, and being put out and I was I was looking at like data like what does it say about like like why don't people listen right like right um, why do they refuse to evacuate during hurricanes and I think you know some of the things I saw were um, they don't have the capability right like there's that that mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. older generations like people that are that are older, financial uh, constraints. Um, but there's, I'd, I'd like your perspective on what you guys have seen of 
what actually gets people moving or what doesn't get people responding. If you know that information, I don't know if you do, but it, it just, no. Yeah. Yeah. I do actually. It's time. It's pretty timely to bring this up. I actually just reading an article this morning, uh, with some new research that was just published. Um, but anyway, so yeah, you hit on, there's a lot of socioeconomic factors that play into it. Um, you know, do you have the means to that? We'll, we'll kind of talk about a hurricane, you know, do you have the means to evacuate? Um, do you have the money to evacuate? You know, um, there's a recency bias. Has a, has a hurricane hit here lately? Um, well, you know, I've been here 50 years and it's never hit here. Why is this one going to be any different versus, oh, I live through Katrina. I'm getting the hell out of here. Yeah, <laughs> right? yeah. um, so that that's a big factor um, that we found is is what's happened lately. You know, if, if there's been an event recently nearby that's hit close to home, those people are much more likely to react. Um, we just had an example of that here. Um, you may have heard of the Amazon tornado, um, that killed six people at an Amazon plant here in uh, Mm -hmm. St. Louis that happened back in December. Well, a few weeks ago, we were forecasting the potential for more tornadoes. There were actually schools that canceled in that area where Amazon was hit. They canceled school altogether because of that that recency bias, right? They just went through that. They were, they were probably a little more, you know, scared and alarmed than they should have been, but they saw what happened at Amazon and they weren't going to take any chances. So first time I'd ever seen that, uh, at least in this part of the country. So, um, so yeah, I think p- for people to react, they need a few things. They need a trusted source. So, you know, whether it's their favorite TV station telling them what to do, whether it's weather service, whether it's, uh, you know, a family member, mm-hmm. it could be, you know, grandma told me to, to go. I was looking and at that grandma- neighbors and family members are huge in telling them, Hey, we're going, you got to go. Yep. Yep. For people to internalize the threat, they almost always seek some sort of family or friend um, validation, right? So they'll talk to a neighbor, they'll talk to a family member like, hey, did you hear about this weather? Like, you know, is this a big deal? Um, they they seek more sources. Like they get that warning or they get that that forecast that sounds real dire. They go to more sources. It's very rare that they'll actually just act on what the TV says or what the National Weather Service says. Um, they, they try to kind of find new sources, um, to, to kind of internalize the threat for themselves. Okay. I, yeah. It's pretty fascinating. It's, it's really it interesting social science research. It, I mean, it, I would, if I had more time, I'd love to study this kind <laughs> of stuff. Um, and, and when you were saying that, I was thinking to myself, you know what, if I watched two things, if I watched something on TV where my forecaster is saying, Hey, you got to get out of town. I would be skeptical, but if you texted me and said, Hey, I looked at the model and you got to get out of town, I'd be packing my bags like ASAP because I know, <laughs> right? Like it's like that good friend is telling me hey, yeah. and you're knowledgeable in the, in the thing. Another, another point of making that is Tucson rarely gets any kind of tornadoes or anything like that. Right. So, you know, like you were saying, like places that get a lot of tornadoes and they're like, well, I haven't, you know, we get it all the time. Like it doesn't hit me. Um, yep. But if Tucson, if they were predicting we're going to get a tornado and it's huge, I'd be out of there so fast because it. Yeah, you'd nope. be like it's out of. The, oh, well, right, we don't, out of the ordinary. Yeah, out of the ordinary. We never get and so there's like this like people get kind of used to the chaos and disaster like like when you hear like like how do we learn to react in a way of like this is a dire thing right this this right. is this is going to kill people if you don't take precautions and we're kind of going I don't know like. You, you know, like, it's just, you're so like Katrina, right? Like that, that reaction, there's a lot of issues with Katrina, right? But, you know, I'm talking about like the psychological aspect, but yeah, right. just very fascinating stuff. 
It is. It is. And, you know, we have tried to, so like our tornado warnings, for instance, um, we have what's called a tornado emergency now. So when we put out a tornado warning, we can kind of upgrade it to what's called an emergency. Uh, And that means there's a large damaging tornado on the ground, um, wide, you know, a wide, large tornado that's going to hit a population center. Um, So that's kind of a way that we've tried to amp up. You know, we talk to our TV partners, like if we put this out, like get on air and and scream at people because it is a big deal. Uh, We don't issue them very often at all. Um, So that's one way we're trying to like make it out of the ordinary. Like this isn't an ordinary thing. Like, yeah, we get tornado warnings fairly frequently, but a tornado emergency. Oh, my God, this is a big deal. Um, So we're trying to kind of find nuanced wording to get people to react when they really, really need to. You guys are always kind of coming up with new ideas. I mean, the, the, the idea of, of being able to tell people I'm going back to the percentage part. I mean, that's a, that's a fascinating new concept that's developed. Like wonder if how much that language changes someone's response. Oh, 80% chance I'm going to get this specific thing in my area. Right. It's like, that's, that's huge versus like you may get a tornado or you may not get a tornado. Right. And, and my concern with it is, and you know, you maybe have a little bit of background in this is, is how, how much do the general public understand probabilities like that? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, do they, do they know what a 60% chance of a tornado hitting their location really means for them? Um, you know, I, I don't know that answer. And I think, I think we're trying to lean a little more on social science to, help us, you know, figure out what this is going to look like over the next few years. as we start to roll this information out? Like, do we, do we actually give them the number or do we say like a tornado is likely or tornadoes definitely coming or, you know, so I don't know, I don't know the answer to that, but uh, it'll be kind of fascinating to see where we go with that. Yeah. And uh, you know, to answer your question, I don't know specifically what those views are. Um, but when I, when you were talking, I was thinking of, we are very reactive in, in psychology of like, like if something happens, then we go through, I'm going to give you education on something, right? Like you experience something bad. Now I'm going to give you this reactive kind of, okay, for next time you can do X, Y, or Z, but we don't have programs in place. Like, like I would have liked it growing up if I got information specific to my area growing up where this is the common weather patterns that we see. This is the disasters that you're likely to experience and not just hide in your bathroom type thing. You know, you know <laughs> right, what I mean? Like, right. oh yes, those are to take safety precautions, but more of like, what does it mean about a 60% chance? Why do we take this seriously? And and getting used to what you're going to see. This is the type of thing you're going to see on the roads. Like that information to me would have been, I think we should do more of that. Like, people, Yeah. That's a, you bring, yeah. You bring up a really good point. You know, it seems like, like, you know, our, our focus on safety and preparedness has been like almost a scare, not really a scare tactic, but like go to your basement, you know, but, but having a little more of the why, well, why go to your basement? Well, back in, you know, 2004, we had a tornado that tore up blue ash. You mm-hmm. may have remembered mm-hmm. that tornado back, um, you know, maybe giving a little more background information as to why this is a serious threat for this area specifically, um, versus just saying like, yeah, you want to go to your basement. Well, why? Yeah. <laughs> And I learned from you um, in Valparaiso, where we went to college. I learned from you from you about the lake effect. Like I, like you educated me on what is lake effect snow? Why are we having it? Why is it in a span of 
12 hours, we can get literally 20 inches of snow. Like, I'm, do you remember that senior year? We, we walked. I do. It was like 40 I miles an hour winds, and we're walking, trying to get food. And there's like, <laughs> there's like 16 inches of snow on the ground. And I said, it's like this morning, there was nothing on the ground. It was a nice day. And then all of a sudden, here we are. And it, we got we got another six inches coming. I'm like, how is it possible? Yeah. We always made we always made jokes that it snowed sideways, you know. Yeah, it did. Yeah, it's like the top five worst days of my life. All that damn snow. I I hate the snow for all the listeners on here. Even living in Missouri, where I deal with it all the time, I can't stand it. I need to go to Arizona. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, lake effect's a crazy thing, you know. So so in the winter, the water is warmer than the environment. So. Um, kind of like making a thunderstorm that we do like in the spring or summertime, it kind of works the same way in the wintertime because the lake's so warm. That lake water is warmer than the air around it. So warm air rises, it's less dense. Kind of like if you've ever been in a hot air balloon, well, the reason it goes up because you make the air hot. Um, same kind of thing. The lake gets hotter than the, than the air around it. So air rises, condenses and forms and when it's cold enough, forms snow. So if you happen to be right downwind, and a lot of times Valpo was with a north wind oh, yeah. blowing right across the lake, and uh, we would get that snow blowing right over us. It sucked. I hated it. <laughs> Never going back there. Well, I, I say all that of like, of like that would be that was nice to know from you. You know, when you, when you were explaining that of like what I'm going to expect. Like when I leave my dorm room in college, and it's really sunny out. Because I know the area, I'm taking a jacket with me that has a hoodie <laughs> and I'm taking my you know gloves and stuff because you know that that stuff in, in a second can change very, very swiftly and you can be dealing with a serious situation. I mean, 16 inches of snow on the ground is insane in a matter of 12, hour, 12 hours. Yeah. You have, yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. But, it sucked. <laughs> so like, and I think, uh, and you speak to the importance of having a relationship, right? So and I, I say this all the time. I think relationships are everything, no matter what business you're in. But, you know, you trusted that that might happen because you knew me mm -hmm. and you knew that I was passionate about what I did and that I was good at what I did. Um, and that's kind of my job now. I'm doing that with the Department of Transportation. I want them to trust me, to trust our office that when we say it's going to snow, you better you better pre-treat the damn yeah. roads. Yeah. Right? <laughs> um, so so I, I, I view that as a big part of my job. Same thing. I deal a lot with our TV meteorologists here in town. Um, you know, if we're putting out tornado warnings, I want them with confidence to get on the air to talk about the tornado warnings that we're putting out. Cause um, they, so yeah, light. I mean, just, just as to your point, cause they have developed a relationship with the viewers, right? The viewers have learned to like, they, you know, it's weird we, we kind of, we have our own program that we watch. It's five o'clock news. We watch the one meteorologist that we like he or she, and we develop kind of this, okay. I like them for whatever reason and I'm going to listen to them. And that's why, you know, but yeah, just to your point. Yeah. yeah. And there's literally, you know, I've talked to people out in the public that, you know, that'll watch their favorite TV meteorologist and like, yeah, like, you know, Jim Bob, he had his sleeves rolled up today. And whenever I see his sleeves rolled up, I mean, he means business. Yeah, yeah. Like they actually, they dial into those cues even. Um, and you know, and you know, people our age and younger, especially, I think that's changing. Like they don't tune into TV anymore. Um, but those people are still, they're Facebook living, they're on Twitter, mm -hmm. live, like they're, they're still live and in front of a live audience. And I think even younger folks, you know, getting their news different ways still will flip on the TV in times of really bad weather. Right. I think that's still kind of a, a process that they go through. So, so yeah, having those relationships with the, the TV meteorologists are, are huge because like you said, the the public reacts to them for sure. Yeah. Very cool. So. Yeah. I, so I, I wanted to also ask, this is kind of a, a a little bit of a digression, but I know that you're 
really passionate about this. Have you done any storm chasing? Have you? <laughs> have you had? A- I have. Okay. I have. So yeah. So actually, Valparaiso, um, as part of our coursework, um, we actually went on a storm chase. So I went um, a few years. And that's really nice. You know, I think there's a misnomer. There are people that storm chase that have no background in meteorology, have no real purpose. Like they're not out there trying to save lives. They're out there literally to get a good video. And it's the same, it's the same thing we're seeing with these social meteorologists. They're in there. They're trying to get as close to the tornado as they can to get clicks Mm -hmm. and to get money. That's what it's all about. Um, those to me aren't the true professionals, the true storm chasers. I storm chased, um, again, to learn. I was out in the field. I had seen this in textbooks. I had you know, talked about it in class. Um, but seeing it in real life just brings it. I mean, it's no different than a doctor, you know, working on, mm-hmm. you know, an actual patient. Um, so, so that to me, you know, that was the reason that I was out in the field kind of looking at this stuff. You know, I wasn't wasn't taking video to post on YouTube to try to get clicks. It's not what it's about. And I think there's a, definitely a dichotomy now in, in, in the field where we have a lot of those folks that are just out there for the fame, but we still have a lot of people doing research. We have a lot of people out there to learn. Um, and sometimes they can be mixed together when it's not really fair. How much data can you get from like storm chasing? Is it, is it kind of like a pretty good, I guess you would say sample size, you know, in the, in the case of like, if you're doing psychological research, like this is tracking something and being able to kind of analyze data that way. Yeah, it kind of depends. So there's been a lot of like field projects um, that go on. So, um, you know, one of the big ones was called Vortex. And so they had hundreds of vehicles that had equipment all over the vehicles and they'd station themselves strategically around the storm They'd have what's called a Doppler on wheels. So they'd actually bring a radar on a a semi yeah, and actually sample the storm, you know, just a few miles away from it. Um, And so, so those field projects, you know, come and go, they take a lot of funding, so we can't do them every single year, Um, but they involve hundreds of, you know, people, um, dozens of universities, a lot of universities supply the, you know, give the supplies and things and the, and the funding. Um, but those have really helped us kind of get an idea of, and this is what really helps us progress the science, you know, knowing what causes tornadoes to form and why some storms produce tornadoes and some don't, and what seems like the exact same environment. Um, we're starting to get some answers to those questions, but that's what those field projects are really out there trying to do. Very cool. And I think to your point earlier, you know, like you wanting to experience it and see it, you know, if you've been around, like if you actually, instead of just looking at videos or photos of Hurricane Katrina, if you actually went to ground zero, that's just an example, but you see the devastation and you see the importance of like, people are really struggling. You, You know, you and I are related in the sense of, I got trained in disaster response from a mental health side of like, how do you learn to coordinate a mental health response for all those survivors and the EMS and, you know, firefighters that are responding to their, um, but if you kind of see that stuff up close, it gives you, there's very much a purpose in like, you're helping a lot of people and to, you know, why, like you talk about your passion, like you get to see, you know, the consequences, the drastic consequences of something. Right. One of the big parts of my job as well is we do storm surveys. So, you know, after that tornado goes through, um, it's, it's my job and, you know, other people in the office to go out and, and figure out how bad the tornado was, what damage did it do? What kind of wind speeds did it have? Um, and so it's one of the best and one of the worst parts of my job. It's one of the worst parts because, you know, you see people on their worst day, they've literally just lost everything. 
Um, in the case of Amazon, there was bodies still in there. When we were surveying the damage, there were still bodies in the building. Um, and so that, you know, that hit our staff pretty hard, you know, just knowing that this devastation occurred and, and, uh, they still didn't know how many were dead inside the building at that point. So, um, so that's when it's kind of the worst part of my job is seeing people just, you know, totally decimated. Um, best part though, is, um, you know, we get to see people that lived because of our information, Mm. right? They took shelter because they got the warning. They, you know, they may have just lost everything, but they were in the basement because we told them that it was coming. And so, um, that really drives home kind of getting chills talking about it, but that really drives home, you know, the work that we do is those days like, yeah, we're going to get crap about being wrong all the time or whatever it might be. Um, but knowing that we put out something that made someone react to save their life is why we're here. It's exactly why we're here. I think that's a beautiful, I think that's a beautiful place to end on. That's such a, <laughs> that's such a wonderful message. Um, I yeah. thank you for doing what you do, Kevin. Really, you you do a lot. Yeah, yeah. We, we, <laughs> well, I yeah, appreciate people, it. I hope that if anything comes from this podcast, people listen and get information, but also you know, change their perspective on how hard you and many others work uh, to keep us safe. To keep us safe. Yeah, yeah. Twenty four seven, three sixty five, and then, like I said, it's not me. It's our staff out there that that really does the work day to day, and. Um, they love what they do and and you know it's it's so awesome just to see the passion the motivation in the field of meteorology and especially in the weather service working the crappy hours that we do uh all offer you know keeping people safe so i appreciate it thank you for coming on you have a great one all right thanks man appreciate bye bye. it bye